1: That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're going to feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price and participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii.
0: Good morning, listeners. How are you? I'm sorry. Got my microphone way off there. How are you today? Let me turn this music off. You can probably hear it in the background. A little, a little. This is Jim the Keys, bartender. I'm not going to tell you where I'm coming from because I think you know I'm back home in the Keys. And uh, it is it was beautiful weather visiting uh, up in Washington, D.C., Dover, and then Baltimore Townsend area. So I was visiting, uh, I was taking care of some, I was helping Abby and Sky take care of some of their dual citizenship requirements in Washington. Yeah, you, you've heard some of the interesting things that happened up there. We, uh, we traveled really, what would you call it, unplanned. The biggest planning I did was the tickets, I bought the plane tickets. And I'm not going to go to the the people that understand how to do the online, you know, how when you check in, how you pick your seats. And I was using Spirit and, you know, a lot of people complain about these budget airlines, but they do fit a or fill a need that people have for low cost travel. Now, if you're not, if you're someone that travels like one of those people that went on the Titanic in first class where they got trucks and truckloads of luggage you might as well go first class on the United Arab Emirates and pay like $4,000 because you're going to pay a shitload of money for luggage. And they charge you for carry-on. Now that's the tricky part. They call it personal item versus carry-on. Personal item, personal item they consider as a as a handbag, a briefcase, a backpack. Now there's Big camper backpacks that people used to bring on. Now they consider that carry-on. Up to a certain size. And then there's a size you can... Out from that, that you can check. So we ended up with, you know, because I'm traveling with girls. And they did pretty good. They did really good with their... We were only up there for what was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And you're pretty much wearing the clothes you're going to wear... You are wearing the clothes you're going to wear on Monday. So you don't really need Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And we travel back on Thursday. So I didn't really book a car until like book a car, reserve a car until the day before. And the hotels, I booked them right when I needed them. And it worked out pretty good. Now that doesn't necessarily work out your best you don't want to be on the fly all the time if if you're not flexible where you can go and we were flexible so if we if it was really busy in Washington DC we could have went to Dover Delaware and stayed there an extra night but what we did was we stayed overnight in Washington DC the first night got a pretty good deal at a nice hotel and then we went on to Dover and the interesting thing down there with even with the covid restrictions you know some places required masks some pe- places didn't so much the 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 travel it wasn't it wasn't that busy we were fortunate not to be in a place where there's big events going on at the time but washington dc was there's always something going on there's a lot of visitors to washington dc and it was beautiful the weather was beautiful it's little it's very interesting when you think about how you your body biologically senses the change in the weather. And it's waking up in the morning and having it around a little below 50 degrees. That's kind of a shock. That's kind of a shock. You never really get too warm up there. I mean, you, you could dress a little too warm if you're walking around Washington, D.C. We walked a lot. Dover, not so much. Not so much in Towson, but all in all, the short short term planning worked out pretty good. It could have been disastrous. It's probably best to leave that when you don't have your family, but it worked out for us here, and uh, we didn't have and plus my, my daughter's fifteen now, so I don't have to worry about dragging along a little one, you know, waiting to you know crash. So we we had a wonderful time. And like I said, that budget airline thing, that worked out like a song. I mean, what do you mean like a song? Uh, I'm talking to myself now. It just was... Booking was easy. Boarding was easy. The flight was easy. The only thing coming back into Miami, there was a delay at the gate because it got there early. So... It, you always hear these horror stories, and in, in the news, you hear about disruptions on the flight and things like that. I don't know what it would be like for a flight attendant right now. I can only ascertain from my experience in the restaurant business what it's like, and that's where I was able to commiserate with the servers we had when we were dining in Washington D.C. Uh, there was, we were at a, a decent. small chain restaurant called North Italia and they did a good job there was long waits in between and you know it didn't seem like it was all that busy but being in the restaurant business I understand that doesn't mean they're fully staffed just because they're not all that busy they could be staffed for less people than that that are in there and we went to several places like that where people seem to be running around more because you don't know what's going on in the kitchen because at the back of the house is really having a hard time getting people to staff up at restaurants when I say back of the house that means your your uh, line cooks your, your uh, chefs your dishwashers and bussers and things like that but the front of the house is understaffed also but you can pretty much see that you tell that so we went to this we went to a couple small places, some privately owned. One we went to one in Towson called Bread and Circuses, or Circus and Breads. I'm not sure. Good restaurant, nice restaurant in in Towson. Uh, it was staffed fine. You had to wait a little there, but the food was excellent. Same thing. We went to an Applebee's. We went to an Applebee's. Yeah, in in Dover. And Applebee's, just like these big chains, you could go to a really well run. Applebee's or a poorly run one. And this one seemed to be well run. The people there seemed to be squared away. It was really nice. It was on DuPont Highway in Dover, Delaware. And uh, we didn't wait that long. And I commiserated with that person. And then later on in the night, we went to a st- steakhouse, Longhorn Steakhouse. And that was, we we showed up there and there was only like five, six tables in the whole restaurant and when we showed up, with how many of us? There were five of us, and they gave us a ten-minute wait, even though there were a lot of tables. Now, this is where people have problems at restaurants, and I have to explain it to the people. Who have problems? Restaurants are doing perfectly fine. They handled this perfectly. They had a certain amount of staff, and in the kitchen, and a certain amount of staff on the floor. And they were seating people according to when they could service them. And when they say service them, they need to take their orders and be able to get their order in a prompt time. Because you could seat a whole bunch of people. You could seat the whole restaurant. And when someone's seated at a table, they're expecting to be in their head. They're expected to be someone to come up, say hello to them. They don't care. They don't really care. They don't think about that. The kitchen is only at fifty percent, and the floor is only at fifty percent. They don't want to hear that. They're just hungry. I'm going to, you know, take my money. Well, we had a wonderful uh, visit at the Longhorn. There was this guy there, uh, Morgan was his name, the server Morgan, and it, it was really interesting. Out of the four or five restaurants we went to, because we had those breakfasts in the morning with that were included with your stay. So we are only out, there were three days, and the first day we were really only out one time, and the second one two times, I think, lunch. And we did lunch and dinner, lunch and dinner. And the two of them were fast food places. Right, and out of those, all of the upper, let's say, Applebee's on up. I know Applebee's isn't fast food, but it's not exactly fine dining either. All those places seem to have more stress, and it seemed to be the and the same thing. Wait, one we did go to a Denny's, and they were busy at Denny's too. They had a hard time keeping up. There was only two people on the floor at around God, what was it? 9.30? When we arrived? So I commiserated with the people at North Italia and Longhorn where Morgan was working and we were talking about it. And I said, I understand why there was a 10-minute wait and why it takes a certain length. And at one point, Somebody came up with someone else's food when we were at Longhorn, and they started putting it down. And I said, well, hold on, hold it, hold it. No one ordered this food. I think you have the different tables food. And I pointed that out. And uh, they, they were nice about it. And I commiserated with Morgan. He talked about how he was his, uh, he had a health scare in the last year. And how he's working in an industry where he can make a lot of money and things like that. But for unfortunately, he doesn't have any health care. He doesn't have health care at the time. So he had a some health emergency and he had a twenty-seven thousand dollar medical bill. We were stuck at the emergency room. So this you know, that just fills in the part that you know they're going through the same thing you are, just because someone's working at a restaurant and things like that people think no one wants to be working yeah they want to be working it's just harder right now and a lot of people are under stress and a lot of people are quitting and going to other jobs and they're looking for benefits you know because it's not all about pay the nice thing about restaurants right now you have the volume and I'll move off that commiseration part with the restaurant but as a worker at a restaurant it's really nice to be earning a little more than you did before. But there's still a reminder because of the pandemic that people are reminded that how precarious their financial well-being is when if you don't have health care, you could be hit with some really healthy, healthy, not well, not healthy to you, uh, but big big bills, huge bills, like auto, buying a new auto bill. At the end of the day, you don't have anything to show for it other than hopefully good health. But we expect people to, you know, accept these jobs, work long hours, stressed, long hours and stressed, under pressure, stressed, under pressure, I do the same thing. And not expect them to get ill and have requirements like that. If you get ill in the restaurant business, you don't show up. You don't get paid that day. And it's hard to, you know, a lot of what happens with restaurant people, if they do not have, let's say, uh, one of these plans that were offered, the Obamacare plans, if they don't have that, they don't have access to health care. They got to do home remedies And they're not making money. And then they're under stress a little more, being sick. And people have to, so it leads people that work in the business to feel the need to go in when they're not feeling well. Because they tell people, if you're not feeling well, stay away. There are people that don't want to go into work because they have a job and they make a decent amount of money and maybe their overhead isn't that much. They're sharing rent and they want to have a good time. Now, because of the pandemic, there are people that are willing to, you know, that willingly don't go to work, feign illness, and don't come into work and decide that, that they can come in, you know, have an honest cubes absence from work. And they do because restaurants and, and certain businesses are under stress for needing the employee. So they're willing to accept things they wouldn't accept before. So that puts the stress on the remaining employees. It's just horrible. I mean, you could be making some money. And because there's... People say, what are you complaining about? You're in a tip job. There's more people. There's less workers. You should be making more. Ideally, that would be the case, wouldn't it? Ideally, the more people you have, the more money you make. Yes. It's a facile argument because there's a law of diminishing returns. And let me explain this to you. When a restaurant is running smoothly, when it's properly staffed, and you have an adequate number of people, the problem with a lot of restaurants, unless you're real fine dining, it's really cyclical. So restaurants don't naturally staff for the busiest they can be. They staff, let's say, at a place at a big shopping center or where sporting events. On When there's a big sporting event, it's a, a big night, they may staff for it. Otherwise, they staff for a certain amount and a certain amount of people and hope that their staff is able to handle if it gets too busy and they start cutting people if it's too slow. So That's the way the restaurants are. Well, right now, they've been busy with not having the staff. And they're expecting people to say, hey, listen, I can, I can work you doubles seven days a week. Well, people can't handle doubles seven days a week. Most people can't handle doubles seven days a week. Let me correct that. There's some people going, there, I did it. And I, I did do it uh, a couple times where I worked, uh, clocked in for 100 hours one week. 99.5 in the catering business. Now, that was catering, distinctly different than uh, a la carte restaurants where you're taking an order running back and forth. There's a lot of stress that goes on. So, I mentioned how staffing goes. So, now with the reduced staffing, restaurants are going with what they have, not what they want, what they have. And they're finding sometimes that maybe they're making more money because they had to increase the restaurants themselves could be making a little more money because they're not staffing that much. They, they they're, but they what happening is they're getting diminishing returns too. I mentioned that the redistribution of profits when you have these online delivery apps, portion of your profit goes to. The service that you do, you got to pay maybe anywhere from ten to twenty percent as a restaurant for that entree to be delivered. It's one of the agreements they have. So that's ten to twenty to thirty. I think it's ten to twenty percent, pretty much, and that ten to twenty percent is taken from their profit. And then there's for a lot of restaurants, they don't pay people extra for preparing to-go orders. They just retask people. And when you're retasking someone, you don't do it with the knowledge that they're going to be making more money. You're doing it just because you have somebody to do it. They don't really, in the long run, they do kind of care that they're make, the person's making money. But their job is to get that food out. That's all they're caring about and at some of these smaller restaurants they just can't handle the um, that added you know to go we're doing a lot more to go orders at the uh, restaurant we work at more to go orders than i've ever recalled doing we used to have maybe 3 4 to- big to go orders in a night now we have on a weekend we may have like 12 significantly more so all this that goes on, the busier you are, the busier your kitchen, the longer people are sitting, the longer they wait for the drinks. They, in their head, people are just thinking about, you know, wow, this is taking so fucking long. This is, this is not right. I want my food now. We got places to go. They're not concerned about it. The people sitting down there, they're not concerned about your staffing levels. They've never worked in restaurants, and if they did, they forgot and don't care because people what, want what they want when they want it, just like if they're waiting to get on the plane and there's a problem with the plane, you know, can't take off because there is a backup, a backup on the main runway where people were taking off. And they said it could be like 15 minutes, 20 minutes because they got extra planes coming down, extra planes, planes leaving because they got sent from another airport. So people say, well, I don't give a shit. I got to be, I got to catch this flight some other place. So they totally ignore it. And it goes down the, the blame goes down the line. So at restaurants, when things wait, people get unhappy and stuff like that, the, the best way they can express their discontent is this in the final process they have with that restaurant, the final interchange. And the final interchange is payment for goods and services. And that tip is the big leeway. Meaning, oh, I was really unhappy with my weight. So you could be a restaurant, you could be a worker, a server, at a restaurant, a nice restaurant. And let's say they just seat everyone. But the kitchen can only handle, let's say, 50% of what you're doing right now. So everything gets longer and longer and longer. And the server's running the tables, running the tables, running the tables. And the bartender's making drinks. And the server's behind getting the drinks, behind taking the orders, behind the orders are slow coming up. And the people get less and less. So there is a way when it's super busy, you actually start making less per person. Some so much more that I remember on some of the busiest nights, we've had, we're just okay in tips. And considering the amount of people we had, it was horrible. It was horrible in tips because people start taking it out on the the people that are most affected by it so the harder you work sometimes you get diminishing returns meaning you, you, you some of the nights my best nights were smaller groups that are generally bigger tippers i know it would be nice if everyone tipped 25 percent and everyone was patient and things like that but in a restaurant that doesn't control their seating when I say control their seating they won't seat people unless they could be served And they said, well, listen, so-and-so has four tables all right, right now. That's it. They got 16 people. That's all they can handle. Pretty much average, a lot of restaurants, if they're, you know, if it's drinking and stuff like that, 16 people is a lot to handle at one time. I remember when I was working in a finer dining, I was doing serving. I I had about 50 during a night, 50 or 60. And that's pretty busy. That's pretty busy. And you don't always, and you always think, oh, that's $10 a person. No, no, not everyone does that. And when you, the busier it gets, the less you get per person. That's it. And people don't realize that. And when the people don't realize it, they have a tendency to disregard that person that's working so hard. And they feel slighted. And they're already under pressure. They're exhausted. And they said, shit. I used to make this kind of money before serving less people. What's going on? So that's what we're dealing right now with the restaurant business. Let's move on. So another thing that I thought about during my travels was we, we had to go and take care of our business, but also I was going to see my, my father and my stepmother and then my siblings. Fortunately, they were all in one town, my siblings, not my father and my stepmother. They were in Dover, Delaware. My, my siblings are all in Towson. Yeah, Towson, Maryland. Jim, you're from Philadelphia. What are you doing in Towson? Well, my brother moved there years ago. God. It had to be 34 years. 30, yeah, 34, around 34, 35 years ago. And then the, everyone started moving in because Towson has this kind of feel. It has a univer- It's a university town, it has, uh, Towson University, which has grown so much, twice its size now. I don't know if it's an on- they have an online component now, I think, too. But it's turning into a big school comparatively to what it was before. It's huge comparatively. It's probably grown by at least 100% if not more, by the amount of buildings I've seen there. I lived there. I lived in Towson back in 2001 and 2 and 3, part of uh, 2003. And it is so different. And I don't know if I necessarily want to live there anymore, not because it's not a fun town. I still like fun towns. I'd probably be... Um, not because there's a lot of college students and stuff like that. It's just that when you're around so many, you 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 feel so much older. Let's say if you're a heavy person. If you're surrounded by thin people, you feel heavier. Okay. When you're surrounded by a lot of college students and you're in your late 50s, you feel a bit older. So I like a demographically more diverse. I don't necessarily enjoy a town where everyone is my age. But then again, I don't like it where it's leaning too much to the early part. But I do appreciate that youth, how we value youth and how it's been that way for years. Years and years, generations and generations. Ponce de Leon, the fountain of youth, whatever. Um, How plastic surgery, how Everyone in Hollywood, you know, is dreading the idea of going, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are dreading the idea of aging and showing the signs of outward aging and and just the amount of activities people have, how... Older people. Men.
1: Hey Mike, what are you doing way up on that ladder? You're going to hurt yourself. Oh, I'm trying to unclog these gutters. That's smart. I had water damage from my gutters last year. It cost me 10 grand. Wait, $10,000? Yeah. And from over here, it looks like water has been pouring over your clogged gutters and it's probably doing real damage to your foundation. You need to do what I did. Get off the ladder and call Leaf Filter. Yeah, but I need to get these gutters flowing now. That's why you need to call Leaf Filter. They'll clean and realign your gutters and install their exclusive micro mesh screen system so Nothing gets in your gutters except water. So Leaf Filter protects my house from damage and means no more gutter cleaning for me. Bingo! Plus Leaf Filter has an industry-leading lifetime warranty, so your gutters are covered for life. Thanks, Frank. I'm calling Leaf Filter today. Don't go another day with your home unprotected. Call 1-844-300-LEAF or go to tryleaffilter.com for your free gutter inspection. Call 1-844-300-LEAF or go to tryleaffilter.com right now for an extra 15% savings. Call 1-844-300-LEAF or go to tryleaffilter.com. That's Eight four four three
0: hundred leaf Mimic younger people. You don't see it virtually. You see very young people, preteens, mimic older people. You know, playing a doctor and stuff like that. And then when they get to be teenagers in, in college and things like that, older people try to mimic younger people. The older people that want to show their... Hey, I still got it. I still got it. I mean, I was on a cruise with my family one time and we with my oldest niece, Kelly, she and I were, at the time I was drinking, and uh, this wasn't that long ago. This was maybe six, seven years ago. Six six years ago? And they were doing some kind of scavenger hunt contest on the cruise ship in the main showroom where they do all their big Hollywood, Hollywood, uh, you know, the shows they have. And... One of them was the first person that would dive on the floor and do the worm. And I dove on the floor. And uh, the result of being diving on the floor would be breaking a rib, which I had to deal with for like two, two, three months. I was having a hard time breathing after that. Man, it was tough teaching a spin class with a broken rib. I did do it because once again, I work in the service industry, case in point. But what that proves, that Peter Pan thing, when I'm thinking about it, it wasn't necessarily the act of growing old and physically manifesting age-related problems. But it's the process of moving out of childhood where your concerns are. And everyone has to deal with that, whether it's um, teenagers that are going to high school, they're in their transition mode. And they're going to, you know, with their opposite sex or whoever they're remotely involved in, things like that. And they start the, just adding more responsibilities. First, you have a responsibility to your friends, you have a responsibility to your boyfriend, girlfriend, schoolwork. And then once you do progress through college and things like that, you got to worry about career, job, student loans. But the main thing that I really saw of change in, and I really do now that I'm, I guess now I'm in the older demographic, was a change in your relationship with your family. Not so much with parents. Because you know what's so funny and it's so kind of static a lot of times? It's your rela- relationship with your parents don't, doesn't change Drastically, as you age. The concerns your parents have for you change. Like they say, oh my God, I hope they take care of their health, their age-related problems. When they're younger, parents worry about the kids, oh, I hope they don't do anything stupid affecting their health. And that could stay on as an older adult because of the way people drink and the way their weight problems are and how inactive they are. But when it comes to the way you deal with your siblings and how you feel about your siblings and how you develop, because when you're younger, there's all sorts of personality interchanges between siblings, right? Someone could be like a real troublemaker kid, you know, wild, wild child, a little, you know, fly off the handle, bad anger problems, things like that. Other ones can be kind of warm and and charming. Others can be just silly. But you deal with that as a kid and you kind of accept it. If you have a horrible relationship with your sibling as a kid, that, I don't know what that turns out with, but I didn't have any horrible relationships with my siblings when I was a kid. I had pretty good, pretty good relationships with my. And then you notice a little stress when you get into the teens, depending on where your motivations are. My sister was like, in high school, was more of a party girl. I was more of a studious fellow. I had come, come out of middle school, eighth grade, where I was one to drink in the woods, you know, and smoke a little pot and things like that. And I kind of buckled down in the, in the high school year, years, then to pick it up again in college. My brother was in between more of a good kid going through high school and college. Me, I kind of mellowed out during the high school years and then I went kind of really off the tracks afterwards. But personality-wise, it's interesting how just growing, the process of growing, how people change, how their views are. Like, when you're younger you'd share many the same views when it comes to religion your school the way your people interact with your family you're more loyal to your family your brothers and sisters if i ever got in trouble my little brother would come running you know we'd get involved and me with him if anybody was bothering my little brother i would be peggy peggy uh, not so much we didn't hang out with as Closely as we did when she went into her twi- uh, teens. She went more of on her own, but we were close. And then coming out of that childhood as young adults, you start reminiscing about your childhood and how close you were as you start growing apart. You're, you're, you're reminiscing about a point in life where it was much simpler, and as you get older, your views start to get more sophisticated on, let's say, religion. Let me pause this. I'll be right back in one moment. Let's take this phone call. Hey, we're talking to a scam call. Hello? Hello?
1: Thanks for calling Social Security Administration. How help
0: you? Uh, you called me.
1: Have you received any kind of case ID number, any reference ID number when you get this call? No. In that case, can you verify my name and your zip code so I can pull out your case file for you?
0: Well, you called me, so you should know. So is this... Is this?
1: I know, I know each and everything, but what happens, we have to confirm from your end, all right, whether I'm talking with the right person or not. All right?
0: Well, my name Did is... you confirm your name? Brian Fellows. My name is Brian Fellows. Brian Fellows? Fellows. Brian Fellows. Fellows. What's the zip code?
1: 9154.
0: 9-1-5-4. 9154? Yep. That's the only four-digit zip code? You no, 095... Yeah. So, which city you are from? I'm from, I'm from Odenton, Maryland. Originally. Okay. (laughs) Oh well, there's nice. It started out a federal agent will contact. See, this is I love this stuff. Brian Fellows, Brian Fellows. That was from Saturday Night Live. So whenever I get the chance, I like to fuck with those people because they're fucking with us. If you get a scam phone call, please don't give your social security number to anybody or your correct phone number or address. When someone's calling you, they should know who you are. Okay? When someone is calling you, they should know who you are. And then... The government would not be contacting you by phone. They'd be sending you a certified letter. Okay, what we're talking about is growing up as a child. That was kind of childlike, I guess. Um, it's interesting how they do this all out of India. and They try to set up a thing where they can get your phone number and scam you for like 200, 300, 400, 500. I don't know how much money they were going to ask for. Your case will be transferred. Well, screw Yeah. Sure. So as a child, you, you're so close to, your, and you're coming out of your, coming into your adulthood, you're still, you have these tight uh, bonds with your, your siblings, brothers right? and sisters. But as you get older, you start changing. Sometimes they start changing. And more recently, we've gotten really divisive, especially in my family, in politics. And it used to be that way. It was that way for about 20 years, maybe, For, for with my sister. She got a little more conservative. I was, uh, I guess, more progressive, and my brother was more moderate. And my sister, my youngest sister, was more moderate uh, also. And the other sister started going further and further afield from it. And she listens to uh, her own news sources, and she believes everything she believes is 100% correct and what we're doing is incorrect and that is just like anybody else you know it's just like one of these true believers there's there wouldn't be a religion out there if everyone had to acquiesce it used to be science was agreed upon it used you know when you know if the weather turns out good today I think I might be talking to someone who um, is a non-big, he's not a very big believer in in the round earth, he's a, he's a flat earther. But when when you get older and then just the character of your relationships change, like whenever one of you, the people in your group decides to go off the beaten path, whether they decide to join a Let's say a person joins a religious group and becomes and it happens a lot of people, they become a fundamentalist Muslim, a fundamentalist Christian, a fundamentalist Jew, uh, a radical atheist. But a radical atheist really doesn't. They just reject everything like that. I can't imagine they don't try to make you, well I guess they just shit on, on your own belief system. Just like these other groups do, too, because they're absolutely right. Right? They're absolutely right. Whether you're a fundamentalist Muslim, Christian, or Jew, and you're, in their head, there's no lack of certainty. And the same thing goes for these people that are following their alternate news, their alternate facts. And that's what they, I mean, I think they, now they call them facts in their head. It's a fact. It's a fact. Lizard people control the planet. It's a fact. The world is flat. Could you show me some pictures or some of your, you know, scientific evidence that the world is flat? Maybe some pictures from the edge. If there are giant Ice mountains holding the oceans back. Can you just? There had to be someone out there that you know went up and climbed them to see if what's on the other side, and where are we suspended in? Are we in a big empty room? That's the universe to them. It's just a big empty room with a flat Earth in the middle, and the rest of it's light all around. Things like that. So when it's, when it's a family member though that you're disagreeing with the fundamentals of the world around you, just the basis for what is true and what is not true and what is hateful and what is not hateful, it starts you start separating because at the core of their belief system is a distrust of everything you don't believe in what they believe in. Like, where I may have some doubts, they're absolutely certain. And they just say, come on. Come on to the side. That's all they have to do. All you have to do is come on the side, reject all the science, all the alternative beliefs out there. Believe that your enemy is 100% evil, that there are pedophilias, and they drink children's blood. So I mean, it just seems that that Peter Pan model where people long for becoming a... It's not about having to go to work. It's not about dealing with relationships. It's, not dealing, it's dealing with the other things as an adult, that how people change when they get older. How they change when they get older. When they're younger, there's more possibilities. There's more doubt. Remember the older people in Peter Pan? They couldn't fly, but younger people can fly because, you know, you just believe it. And so you could probably say, hey, they were screwed up, those kids that believe Peter Pan. You know you can't fly. Well, in their world, they could. So there was more possibilities, more options. And as you get older, think of it. There were good people in Peter Pan. There was good older people, and bad older people. The parents, the parents of Wendy and the uh, the boys, they were good people. And then you had Captain Hook. He was a grown up. He wasn't a good person. It was just cut and dry. And they saw it right away. But in our modern lives, As adults. An adult. In the Peter Pan world. Would say. Well. Captain Hook isn't that. You know. He was just misinformed. Captain Hook. And. Those kids he was after. had He had a legitimate beef. And he was wronged. And. Peter Pan's a. He's a radical leftist. <laughs> so no, but the only it's it's sad that part where people get so entrenched in their beliefs that they can demonize their siblings. And the people you care about. It's broken up so many families recently. It's doing a number on mine. And I won't necessarily point out who it is, but it's just, it's sad when you can't get everyone together as they get older. Their feelings get a little more entrenched. Mine have. But I'm somewhat, you know, I can have doubt and still believe what I believe. And admit to doubt. If you can't admit to doubt, then you might have, if you have to be certain about stuff, and you can be certain, you can be certain about some things. About the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. And it being... Somewhat warmer in the summer than it is in the winter, but you know, who knows what's going to happen. (laughs) And but to be certain about opinions, about things you can't be sure of, and allow those things, the things you can't be sure of, that you're certain of, become the things that separate you from the people that you should be closest with, well, that's a tragedy and it's sad. If people could just lay it down for a whole conversation, I had a wonderful visit with some friends a couple weeks ago from Philadelphia. We dis we disagree politically, seriously politically, but we don't let that come between it because whether or not there's enough doubt in our belief systems that they say that still mean that doesn't mean you're not a good person. I realize that. I have friends, people I care about, that don't necessarily believe what I believe in. It's a shame that they may be hanging on to some kind of, I, let's say, negative-driven belief system trying to negate everything and to point out, you know, well, you know, you're in the cancel culture and whatever, things like that. You know, but I have, I have my doubts, but I, I am certain of one thing that when you really shut out someone that knew you when you were young and cared about you when you and still cares about you now for a belief system that someone, some demagogue tells you is the right thing and you're not out there. And a lot of the people I know are only exposed to that echo chamber where they hear, you know, hate, 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 lie, 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 fib, 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 and you know, fibs, lies, falsehoods, you know, dog whistles, whatever you want to call it. it, it it's just you're, you're just giving up the best part of your lives, the best part of your lives, the, the, the part you were given. Your family was given to you, your family was a gift. And if you choose to throw that away because of your, uh, your belief system and you choose to let it encroach itself into your conversations with your loved ones. You know, that, yeah, you want to show your passion for your beliefs, but what about your passion for you know, the way you care for your family? How could you disown somebody for their belief system and stuff like that? And how could you be so hateful to them? How could you call a family member a communist and a Nazi? Which is diametrically opposed. But they're both, like I said, a radical communist and a radical Nazi. Whether Pol Pot kind of communist or a Nazi. They're all extremist to me. I hate to say it. The There are... Autocrat, autocratic people that aren't that bad, aren't Nazi-like, and there's people that have socialist tendencies that aren't as bad as extreme communists. It's just a, what would you call it? It's more of a spectrum where most people are in the middle and they understand what's most important. And if you're going to give up your family for a system of beliefs that you think some arbitrary belief system that presupposes that immigrants are bad that anybody that disagrees with you is evil and that you're 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 the true American and the rest of them are fake then you've already gone that rabbit hole too far I don't know if and there's no way they voluntarily go back once they go down that rabbit hole they're there they accepted it they accepted that whole thing. And they're, you know, you're. fortunately, if if for you, for you as a person, I hope that you're, I, I hate when some people buy into that belief system, but at least I hope a couple of your family members buy into that belief system so you're not alone. So you're not alone. But once you buy into that, you, you are going, if the rest of your family does not buy into it, just like, Anybody, just like if you were in Iran and let's say you you have a Muslim family and one of them decided they want to be Catholic, which in Iran is kind of radical. If you had one person say, well, I'm going to be Catholic. Besides being maybe thrown in jail or whatever, stuff like that, you might be ostracized by your family. You might be and it may be a poor example, but that is similar when you choose an ideology That excludes other people. Okay. Well, this is Jim the Key's partner. Not very, not very happy, but it is something I wanted to think about and talk about. And I wish, I just wish we could go back to something like that. I do like to thank all my listeners, especially whoever is in Riverton, New Jersey, whether it's, um, you know, some important people in my life live in that area. There was Eileen. There's a Carol. But what happened when I mentioned these towns is when the downloading, that's where the downloads come from. And I did notice there was a lot of downloads from River- Riverton. And uh, I do appreciate that. And whoever it is, please send me an email to com. Tell me what you think. And if you are from another town someplace else, I notice I still have a lot of people from Taiwan going. I do appreciate it. And they're from all over for some reason. I do appreciate Taiwan uh, and India. Not so much from India anymore, but I was wondering if that was just downloads going on. But I do appreciate sharing that with your friends in India. And I wasn't that scam call that I was getting it, it tendency, it did come from the area around the subcontinent, it sounded like, but that doesn't mean everyone is like that. Obviously, there's places in the United States where they do that. They're not as organized because I think that we may have a little more robust uh, police presence where we would go and you know if someone did do those things i think we'd be able to track it down more so a lot of them are from outside the country using uh you know online uh, uh phone numbers where you can get another line that doesn't originate we have lines that show miami that's a phone call that came in obviously the person i was talking to i don't think that call center was from miami i think it was from someplace like Chennai, india or mumbai and uh thank you for if if one of the callers if they listen that's great if you work in a call center and you're trying to get that listen try to i i love putting them on because they they couldn't really sue me they were trying to scam people with the thing so that'd be great if they go oh they put my name they put my name on the uh, they put my voice on the uh podcast and you say yeah you did while you were trying to rip off somebody using a social security fraud but uh, please download as many episodes as you can get my ranking up there the more i have it just changes just the way i can present the keys bartender to you thank you very much and i want to talk to you maybe later today we'll see talk to you later bye